Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 8th of April, 2021 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Wow, we had a live show and it was amazing. So good to be back in public and revealing details of our lives on stage. Storytelling is a wondrous thing. It teaches us to be better communicators, better listeners, and better community members. And it's also a bit strange. We do tell stories, often ones that don't show us in the best of lights, that we've written ourselves to strangers on stage. But we love it. And let's face it, podcast listeners, so do you. This week, our first story will be from Leslie, a brand new storyteller on our stage, but she comes from an illustrious lineage of performers. After Leslie, we'll hear from Sheridan, a story of mementos. Before we get to today's podcast, though, a warm thank you goes out to our amazing Hong Kong listeners. Without you, this whole getting up on stage and talking about ourselves would be really weird. Thanks for sticking with us and even joining us sometimes on stage. Thanks go out to our overseas listeners as well, especially listeners in Zurich, Switzerland and Zurich, Canada, Mombasa in Kenya and Odense Sea in Denmark. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. We have another show coming up in May, which we'll be posting pitch workshops for on the website and on Facebook. But before that, on the 15th and 16th of April, no less, we'll be part of the Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival's Hong Kong Podcast Live Show. This live show features 10 different English language podcasters based in our beloved city who will take to the stage and show you what it looks like behind the mics as they interview guests and enjoy being able to see your faces as they record. On stage on April 15th is Across the Pond, Hashtag Impact, In the Changing Room, This Hong Kong Life, and Ho Ho Hong Kong. And then on the 16th is your favorite, of course, Hong Kong Stories, Over 40 Wellness, Interested, Sustainable Asia, and Better in Bed. Tickets go on sale today, so don't miss out and grab yours now. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now, here is Leslie. So this is an untrue story. I was a shy child. I got out of it. As you can see, I'm here now. But as a teenager, my aim in life was to not be noticed. I worked out that if I never answered any question at school, no teacher would ever know my name. Anonymity was my goal. I was doing all right at this until I was about 14. That's when my dad became the most embarrassing dad in the world. My dad became an entertainer performing his acts in local pubs and folk clubs in the area. And his piece de resistance was to play the spoons. That's right, he played two spoons to the tune of the Sheik of Araby. He entertained my friends at my 14th birthday party by playing the spoons and doing a monologue, Albert and the Lion. No one asked him to, especially me. I was hiding behind the sofa, just willing him to stop. When he did eventually stop, he told my friends that not only did he play the spoons, he was, in fact, the world champion. 
My friends looked impressed. I looked aghast. He developed a bit of a reputation for himself. Being world champion gets your act booked. Teachers at school started asking me, is Bert Draycott the world champion spoon player your dad? <sighs> Blush. I was horrified, but I had to admit, yes, that was my dad. He was embarrassing. Um, his storytelling style was to be believable. Was it a joke? Was it a monologue? Was it a lie? The punchline was the big reveal. Oh, it was a joke. But frankly, my friends didn't really get the joke. They were just waiting for him to stop so they could get on with the serious business of being my friend and listening to records in my bedroom. He would always tell them that he was world champion spoon player and, as if to confirm it, would also add that he'd played the spoons at Princess Anne's wedding. His, her first wedding, because that's how long ago he started telling this story. This story is not that long in telling. It's just a very long time since 1974. <laughs> I, I got a bit older, and being the shy retiring type, had no plans one Saturday night. My mum and dad said, come out with us, we'll have a bar snack and a shandy. The Red Lion pub looked ominously full that night. To my horror, it was folk night and there was an open mic. No, he's not going to get up and do his act, is he? Not with his shy, retiring teenage daughter with him. In the blink of an eye, he was up on stage. The audience loved him. They laughed at his jokes, joined in with the songs. He got to the, got to the end whipped out the spoons, said he was world champion spoon player, and then announced, this one's for our Leslie. All the audience turned to look at me. I just wanted to sink into a hole in the ground. I tried to look like I wasn't our Leslie, like I wasn't his daughter. You see, he was embarrassing. The untrue part about this story is that, of course, he wasn't really world champion spoon player. I mean, I knew, but... It was, it was part of his act. It was funny. But he maintained this story so, like it was a fact, like people just got to believe him. He said this all the way through into his 80s, and he would you know, seize any opportunity to perform and whip out his spoons to give people a treat of watching him play. I got over my adolescent awkwardness, but even as a grown woman, I remained mortified by him. He um, upstaged the birth of my first child by playing the spoons for the nurses on the ward. <laughs> it's true, he did. His grandchildren grew up believing their granddad was world champion spoon player because, well, he told them, and any birthday card he ever sent them said, Bert Draycott, world champion spoon player, but he remained the embarrassing dad to me. Our local annual folk festival took place over a weekend every September. This was a marvellous chance for Bert to play to his home crowd. And on the list of events was the world champion spoon playing competition. And wouldn't you know it, he won. <laughs> He was awarded a trophy that someone had cobbled together, gold spoon on it, engraved, declaring him to be world champion spoon player. 
it seemed true, it was a fact, the local paper took the story, it, it became truer. <laughs> this championships became a regular fixture at the folk festival and every year he won. Then one year, another contender turned up, a surprise entry, George. George had travelled to the folk festival, especially to compete against the current champion. George was keen to show off his spoon-playing skills. In a cruel twist of fate that year, the judges awarded first prize to George. <laughs> My dad was no longer world champion spoon player. George had turned up and won. He got the trophy, he got the, the spoon and walked away, believing he was now the world champion because he'd competed against the current world champion. Me and my brother fell about laughing at the irony of this bloke, George, pitching up and winning. It didn't knock my dad back one bit. For the next year, he just called himself Bert Draycott, former world champion spoon player. <laughs> Did he really play the spoons for Princess Anne's wedding? Well, that's another story. Thank you. <laughs> So, being world champion gets your act booked. I wonder what I could claim to be world champion of. I realize with all the info for the upcoming podcast show on April 15th and 16th, I have missed giving you the website, hongkongstories.com. Find all the info you need there. And now with another story of family, here is Sheridan. around this time of year, people start asking that question, you know the question, what are you doing for the holidays? Are you going home? And I usually just say something like, oh, you know, I'll probably just hang around Hong Kong this year, you know, maybe go somewhere a few days. I don't, I don't really know yet. It's a really awkward question for me. And there was this personal trainer at my gym, and she kept saying, why aren't you going home? And I started trotting out the usual excuses, added a few more. You know, it's an expensive time of year to travel, and, you know, it's kind of, a, kind of bad weather in the States this time of year, and, you know, just hanging around Hong Kong. And, you know, she's really insistent. You know, you have to go home, right, to see your parents? And I say, well, you know, I've lived in Hong Kong a long time now. It's kind of home in a way. But she is not letting up. She is going to teach me about filial piety. What about your parents? Don't you miss your parents? I think, okay. Um, you know, the fact is, I would give just about anything to see my parents again. And I decide to end this conversation. My parents are dead, okay? That shuts her right up. And what I didn't say then is that essentially everybody, really, I mean, I have a few cousins, a couple uncles. But all the people, really, family, family, that you go home and spend the holidays with, the only one left is me. Yeah, it's kind of sad, I know. But in some ways, it's kind of freeing. And what I've come to realize is that when people die, they leave things behind. And through those things, we can take the power of grief 
and transform it into something more. We can carry the people that we loved with us. So see, I wear this opal ring. This was my father's mother, Maria, from Italy, and she was an amazing cook. And when I was a kid, we would spend Christmas at their house in New England. If we were lucky, there was snow on the ground. Frank Sinatra would be playing on the stereo. My grandmother would be cooking the whole day, roast ham and lasagna and three kinds of pastas and all kinds of side dishes, and I would be at her side learning how. And I swear, if ever I'm wearing any of the rings or necklaces or earrings she left behind for me, the food I cook tastes just a little bit better. I have all kinds of other jewels, too. My mother's mother, I don't really remember her, but based on the evidence left behind in the jewelry box that was ultimately passed down to me, she was unbelievably glamorous. I can picture the strings of pearls at the height of fashion in the 40s and 50s decorating her décolletage as she held a martini glass in one hand and a cigarette holder in the other. On New Year's Eve, it would have been rhinestones. I have them all now. And it only takes a moment to take something of hers out of the jewelry box and put it on and become glamorous too. See, I didn't get a lot of pretty girly gifts growing up. My father, he was a scientist and an engineer who believed in applying logic and discipline and principles to making the world a better place. So Christmas gifts at my house were like a chemistry set so we could blow stuff up in the kitchen together, or a telescope so we could go outside together and look at the stars. I had to beg to get my ears pierced like the other girls. But instead of the scientist or engineer that he wanted me to be, I took that disciplined and logical mind that he made sure I developed and turned it to writing. And by the time I reached my early 30s, I had written my first book. And you know what? He was proud of me anyway. So that year, I was visiting him and his new wife in Florida for the holidays. He had just remarried after the death of my mother. And his new wife said, hey, you should buy her like a charm bracelet, one of those Pandora charm things, to commemorate her first book. So we all three went to the mall to brave the Christmas crowds. We went to all those little jewelry stores. Didn't find anything. We were just about to give up. And we went to the jewelry counter at Macy's. And my dad said, that necklace, it looks like a book. And it actually did. It had three square-cut sapphires surrounded by diamonds in a rectangle in the shape of a book. It was 800 U.S. dollars. This is not exactly what my stepmother had in mind when she suggested getting a little charm bracelet kind of thing. But I think my father wanted me to know that even though he had a new love in his life, he still loved me too. And he was proud of me. And it did look like a book. So now, when I want to feel strong and principled and logical, I take that necklace and put it on. I carry my father with me 
but I carry my mother with me for other occasions. My mom, she was, she was witty and tall and wicked smart. So yeah, I take after my dad. And sometimes on lonely afternoons in Hong Kong, I find fun things for my mom and I to do together. I take out the single pearl drop necklace that she was wearing in her college graduation photo and in the engagement picture to my dad in the newspaper. We like to go get our nails done because it reminds us of the last time we ever saw each other. I was down in Florida again for one of those holiday visits and we decided to get ourselves prettied up for the holidays. We went for manicures. And we had our hands under the nail dryer, and we started laughing about something like we always did. And she lifted her hands up and smashed all the polish on the tops of her fingers, and manicures had to do it all over again. So then when she put her hands back under the dryer, we started laughing about how mad the manicurist got. She lifted her hands up and smudged her polish all over again. It was so funny. So you see, my mom was the kind of person who, no matter what I wore, it could be a burlap sack, my mother would say, oh, honey, you look beautiful. Because no matter what, my mother always thought I looked beautiful. So now, if, say, I've met a new guy and going out on a date, I put on that single pearl drop necklace, and I wonder, how do I look, Mom? What do you think of this guy? And if I concentrate hard enough, I think I almost can hear her voice. So I wanted to be strong to stand up here this evening and tell the story. So I brought my dad with me. See, despite having a scientific mind, he was also a religious man because there are some things that science just can't explain. And he believed that when he died, his soul was going to go to heaven and be with my mom again. But it's also right here with me, next to my heart. So is it true? Can we carry the ones we loved around with us? A logical mind would say no. But sometimes it's not about what's true. It's about what you feel. So this year at the holidays, there is a place I can go. I can open my jewelry box and find everybody there all together and have a party. Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. I admit to being mildly giddy about having a whole show of stories to podcast for you, and in the next few weeks, there'll be a further surprise. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>